At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found check battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth clothing for all types of weather, all kinds of terrain, all kinds of budgets. It's clothing that just works. Check them out at huntworthgear.com. Um, 2024 is upon us. We are, uh, I'm heading to the ATA show tomorrow. Uh, going to check that out. Going to meet with uh, a bunch of our sponsors, um, see how everything is looking for the 2024 season. But I just want to say thank you so much to everyone and all the sponsors that we worked with in 2023, Huntworth, Latitude, Spartan Forge, Genesis 3D, Big Shot, Lucky Buck, Kanadi, and the guys at Zingers. Um, I don't expect too many big changes, uh, but we'll see what comes uh, in store for 2023, or 2024 rather. And uh, yeah, I am drawing for the quarter four of last year, uh, giveaway winners, uh, after I finish recording this and get this uploaded and I will announce those throughout the week, uh, as I'm sitting with some of the companies that we're, uh, giving away stuff for. So anyways, uh, this podcast kind of goes right back to where I left off with Byron and talking some of that gear, uh, versus outdoorsmanship, woodsmanship, talking some of the hybrid hunting, uh, things you wish you would have known when you were younger, uh, talking with, uh, Todd Freeman over in Jersey, um, about just those things, water access, all types of stuff. Um, got to give a shout out to our latest Patreon, Kane Hodgson. 
Um, he is in the Navy down there in Georgia, and he's headed back up here to Michigan very shortly. And uh, he said he appreciated everything we were doing with veterans and got some big stuff coming with one of our uh, Patreon podcast, I guess, uh, Hutchie Outdoors. Go ahead and uh, give them a, a follow, give them a listen, and uh, see what he's got coming up uh, for some veterans this year uh, into 2024. So uh, without further ado, we'll get into the podcast. I know you guys are going to love it. Uh, if you want to like, subscribe, you want to give us a, a review, that'll help us. Uh, check out our Patreon, bec- become part of the community. Uh, we're really like I said, building the community, trying to help everybody, um, connecting people with other hunters, like-minded individuals, all that. Um, but yeah, really appreciate it. Really looking forward to this year. And as always, enjoy the episode. All right, everybody, Adam back with another episode of the Bowhunter Bow Hunter Chronicles podcast. And uh, today we got Todd Freeman, um, he, you may know him from, uh, the seek wilderness podcast. He's, uh, out there, uh, seeking wilderness, doing epic things. Um, he is a, a transplant somehow ended up in New Jersey from, from the great state of Michigan. If you could call it that up there with the Youpers. Um, I imagine he probably identifies more as a Packers fan, uh, Wisconsinite than, uh, than most of us Honolulu blue guys. But uh, maybe not. He's shaking his head. But uh, how how are you doing today, Todd? I'm doing really good. I'm going to give you something. I'm going to start this off Michigan style. All right, brother. See that straw sign back there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard the story about why that straw sign is there. But my father is, you know, we're from Michigan, from the UP. We have, we live three and a half hours from Green Bay and we live seven or eight hours north of Detroit, but we're from Michigan. We're all Detroit all the time. That's the way we are. So if you look at uh, all the people in the UP back in those days, that Stroh's beer right there was trashing them. That was from Detroit. That was Detroit river piss right there. And only true. My, my father would, would drive around on his truck with a Stroh's uh, license plate on the front of the truck because he wanted everybody to know that he was such a Michigan person that he would drink that rock gut beer from Detroit before he drank any Wisconsin beer. So that's the story behind the Stros. Um, Detroit, all sports, brother. So today, when they when they won today, that's good. Go blue tomorrow for for the Wolverines. Uh, yeah, tried and true, blue man. So don't worry about that. So it's it's funny because my dad, um, he always drank Stros like back in the day, and it, he didn't. He's just like Detroit River water. It's the best. You know, yeah. that's that's the beer. That's the beer, and yeah. uh, it, you know, it, uh, that was when I was a kid, like a young kid, you know, I mean, I don't know when they went out of business or whatever, but man, it was, it was a long time ago. So you grew up in the UP. Uh, yep. Tell us a little bit about that. Like when, right, how did so you, up, how'd you end up where you're at now? So real quick, I grew up in Marquette, Michigan, uh, actually a little bit South of Harvey and Beaver. I lived in Beaver, a little town, Beaver Grove. It's a couple of flashing lights in a, a general store there. Um, out in the middle of, uh, steelhead country, all of our, all of our creeks in our backyards and stuff. were all, all, uh, Lake Superior steelhead fishery, um, deer running around everywhere. We had, I mean, it was true UP back in those days. Uh, grew up there 18 years old. Um, kind of skipped out of school. I never was a school guy. I, uh, I always hated it. I was daydreaming about if it was trout season, I was wanting to catch, wanted to be out catching steelhead. I wanted to be 
catching salmon in the fall. I wanted to be uh, just chasing critters around. I could not sit in a classroom and listen to some some person tell me about math and all that kind of stuff. But I did get enough math out of there to be able to uh, vocationally be able to to uh, provide for a family. So if that makes makes sense. But I skipped out of school. <laughs> run out about eighteen. Went in the navy um, when I was eighteen, eighteen and a half, something like that. And uh, went to boot camp. Very first uh, station was. Uh, USS Kitty Hawk, and it was going through a four-year overall in the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard. So I came right over to Philly after my A school, uh, my machinist made A school, and uh, came here. wasn't here very long, maybe a year or two. And a friend of mine was was going with a a, a local New Jersey girl. So there's a bridge, the Walt Women Bridge or whatever. It's just the difference between Philadelphia and New Jersey, right there. It's just a bridge that separates the Delaware River. Um, his he met a girl from locally here in, in New Jersey, West Effort, New Jersey. And, um, I got introduced to, uh, who's my wife of almost 33 years now, uh, <laughs> that, that summer. So we've been together ever since, um, two boys, uh, Tony and Nicholas, um, 27 and 15. Uh, so that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, that's how I got here. Um, we bounced around a little bit while I was in the Navy. I did eight years and a little over eight years in the, in the Navy after that. Um, we bounced around a little bit, went to California for a while up in Maine, lived up there, finished up in Maine when Tony was born and I uh, wasn't going to be one of those families that were, were separated by, by the military. Um, six month tours were starting to turn into nine month and then 12 month tours in the Navy. And that's a long, long time. That's a lot of life of a, of a child. So uh, I was able to get out like three months after my oldest son was born and uh, started my, my professional career uh, in, the, in the civilian world after that. So that's basically what I'm doing here. My wife is a Jersey girl and she is she loves she likes going to the UP, likes going to the UP, does not love going to the UP. She, <laughs> she loves going there in the summertime or whatever, but would definitely not spend a lot of time there. She's not leaving her family. She's a Jersey girl tried and true. So, so, uh, prior to going into the Navy and, uh, growing up in the UP with, uh, the hunting culture, the fishing culture, you said it was a big part of your life. Like what for, for people, even, even people that are like downstate that don't, you know, you just hear the stories of like, you know, Michigan deer camps and like what deer camp used to be and like, you're a little bit older than me. And I remember, you know, back when my dad would go, you know, there was no cell phones. There was, I mean, uh, up until like I was 12 years old before our camp got power cut in, um, yeah. you know, kerosene lights, generator, like all that stuff. So for you, like being up there and the, what what was the hunting culture, both with uh, rifle hunting and bow hunting for, for deer up there? Yeah. So bull hunting was uh, obviously a month earlier, month, you know, October 1st start. Um, back in those days, um, you know, it was you built, you put a stand up a lot of wood, <laughs> you threw a bunch of apples out and you sat on top of it, those apples and you wrote, wrote it out. You know what I mean? Like bad wind, good wind, you know, tonight they didn't come in cause they, they winded us. They were blowing at us over, you know, downwind of us. They didn't come in, but I'll get her, to, I'll get her tomorrow night. I'll just throw some more apples out there for her. You know? So that's the way bow hunting was uh, for us. Not necessarily a, a camp culture. Um, I did my uncle's camp. Uh, we would go out there and, and stay the weekend and bow hunt out there and everything. But, but, um, for the most part, rifle season is where the whole 
camp culture really, really, uh, was strong back in those days. So in those days, uh, believe it or not, some people, maybe my age or older will, would know this, but if you went to the UP, uh, back in those days, it was full of Illinois tags and Wisconsin tags. And, you know, we wouldn't know the difference between if a person was from below the bridge or, you know, from lower Michigan or not, because they had the same tags as us, but, but the woods were loaded with Illinois tags in those days. They were, they actually, those people bought camps up there and everything else in, in those days. Um, a lot of people don't understand that about, um, about Illinois and, and down that way, they didn't have a lot of deer back in those days. They were an expanding uh, deer herd down in those days. And that's, you know, so those people were coming up here because they wanted the camp life for one to get away. And um, they also um, were coming up here because we had a lot of deer there. If you go to Menominee County over, you know, where you drive through to get to your camp, um, there used to be over 120 in the late eighties, there was over 120 deer per square mile. There was more deer in Menominee County per square mile than any place east of the Mississippi at, at that point. I don't think that there's probably many places today that have 120 deer per, per square mile. And that's not during, that's during the fall. That's not when they all come up from my way down your, down that way, you know, not your way up. I'm sorry. I don't mean that that way, but uh, you know, that's not the winter winter herd that's you know where where they all migrate down that that's the actual fall going into the rut 120 deer per square mile it was ridiculous back in those days yeah and that's you know when my i think it was when we started first going up there you know the tag system here was way different um you know back when i when i can remember but you know you you put in for a dough permit and then maybe you got it maybe you didn't but but we were, we are in Menominee County. We're right at the top of right on Menominee and Dickinson County. So it, it was, you could buy one a day until they were gone and they were never gone for, for dope permits. And, yep. uh, I think we used to hunt Ralph a lot. You know, where Ralph's at you're probably, you probably have heard of Ralph, but yeah. But anyway, that's where we, we hunted out that way. Out the Wasita road out, out, out that way, 438 out in that, that area. So, yeah. So like, I think that. I don't know if it was like the hard winters. Cause I remember there being some, some serious winters there, but you know, we've seen wolves on our property. We've seen like sport kills on our property. Um, and, and people talk about it like, Oh, you know, it's not that bad. But when you go from that many deer to like the, the numbers that we were seeing, I think the numbers are coming back now, but not like that. It, it's just, it, it's wild to see what, what one animal uh, can do, you know? Yeah. So we had a, we have a show up in the, in the UP. It's been taken over by some other people now and it's, they still do a pretty good job with it. But we had a guy named Buck Lavasser that did our local, uh, Monday night show up there, outdoor show. It was called discovering. I don't know if you ever got a chance to see it while you're up there on t- local TV or whatever, but that's, a that's our local UP, um, show. And every Monday night, you know, we would tune in and that would be, uh, it would be like mission outdoors on, when was it? When was Michigan Outdoors on Tuesday Thursday, nights or something Thursdays. like Thursday nights? Yeah, Thursday nights. Uh, you know what I mean. So you know everybody would tune in. You'd find out about this, see who uh, they're who was bitching about the DNR or whatever. Then, but the discovering wasn't necessarily like that. They kind of, um, yeah, kind of went along a little bit more with what the with the DNR was saying. They, there wasn't a whole lot of you know, bickering and stuff like Fred Trost and stuff like that back in those days. <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, so yeah, we would we would watch discovering and the wolves were absolutely introduced 
to the UP. You can't. I tried Googling this 10 years ago and you can, they completely wiped that off the, the, the planet. They've taken they stripped that completely off of I don't know how they did it, but there is you can't find footage of the show. When we used to watch it, they used to sit there and talk to the biologist and he'd say, oh, one pack isn't going to do any harm to these deer. We, we, we've only introduced one pack. You know, and if you go do a Google search on were wolves introduced to the UP, you can't find anything on it. And it was on a local TV, six CBS, ABC, whatever it is, station. You know what I mean? And it's been wiped from history. So when they were letting go of the wolves in Colorado last week or the week before, I said to whoever was posting a picture with all the biologists standing behind it. Take a screenshot, save that footage, because those guys' faces are going to be the faces that you're going to be wanting to talk to in 10 years when the, when they destroy your, your your hunting and your culture, it, you know, so. Yeah, it, it, it's it's changed, you know, dramatically. But like I said, I think mm -hmm. I think it's going back now with your history from the, like the UP and then mm -hmm. then you went into the Navy and you went out east. Um, and yeah. being a, being a guy who wanted to be in the outdoors and like, even, you know, when I was first introduced to Greg and that's how I kind of got introduced to, to you was like, I didn't think that there was any hunting in Jersey or, you know, I don't think of like Jersey and Philly as being these, like, that's where I'm going to destination hunting. I don't think of a hunting culture, um, in those areas. So for you as a, you know, what? 19 20 year old kid getting out there with this love of the outdoors and you're dropped in this metropolis like what's what was that like for you and how did you uh kind of get yourself into the 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 hunting culture out there so to be honest with you so i'm 18 19 years old i get in service um i mean i got into a city i'd never been in a city before you know what i mean there was certain certain flavors of people that i'd never even seen before you know what i mean i was from the up i had never seen a jewish person before you know what i mean it, it, i've never seen one i probably did but i i don't know i didn't i didn't see them in there you know it, it so it was it was a totally different it was a i was in shell shock when i you know what i mean when i first left the up um I, i've learned that all people are cool, man. There's good people. There's good people in all, uh, all cultures, you know what I mean? But, uh, and not that I didn't think that before. I just never met them. So w when I first got to, to Philly or whatever, uh, for me, it was, uh, you know, it was about girls and drinking and that kind of stuff. And like, that's how it, the whole city part of it went. And then, you know, like I said, I, you start to, you know, move out, out of the city a little bit when I met Marcy and, you know, I started going to Jersey a little bit more and all that kind of stuff, but fishing was relatively easy. You know what I mean? Find, find a place to fish or whatever. Um, didn't really matter what I was catching and what they weren't pretty steelhead and they weren't pretty, uh, brook trout and stuff like that, where I, I was a little more catfish and stripers and that kind of stuff. But so that, that part was easy. Um, but you know, skip forward a, a year or two when I met Mars and we started, uh, Dayton and spending more time over in Jersey and I found a bow shop right away. And then next thing you know, you start talking to people like, Hey, where, where are the, are the woods around here? And you find this piece and that piece and you start walking them and, and learning them. And, um, one of the best things that probably ever happened to me was going from Michigan where we're talking about those, those apple piles, you know, um, that's the way we hunted with a bow back in those days. Um, that's where we hunted with, with a gun too. You know, that's how we got them. What we thought was the only way to kill deer. Um, was to bait them and came here and there was no baiting at that time here. 
So when I went out to those woods, they're totally different. There's green briar and, 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 uh, hollies and, you know, just all different kinds of, of trees that I was used to up in the UP. And, uh, I had to learn to be a bow hunter. I learned to be a bow hunter in New Jersey. I didn't learn it in the UP when, when you know, you learned, I learned about wind and it's setting up stands, you know, for the wind and, and all that kind of stuff, but, and reading sign a little bit, but I, I had to really, really read sign when I was forced to get away from a bait pile. And I, man, I, I'm so glad that, th- that that's the way it was back in those days. You couldn't bait back in those days here. So for, for you, and it's funny be- that you kind of led that way, because that's one of the things I wanted to ask you is, you know, your, your, your guys' tagline with the, with the podcast is, you know, uh, you know, seek wilderness, go do epic things. Right. And yep. you guys are not the, the typical necessarily bow hunting, hunting podcast. Like you want to do, you know, uh, hiking and, you know, woodsmanship, you know, bushcrafting mm-hmm. type stuff. So, yep. so for you at that time and for you now being, you know, uh, kind of on the older generation of kind of what we're seeing now with all the social media and all of this stuff, what are some of the things that you would go back now with all of the knowledge that you have to, mm-hmm. to the, the 21 year old, 24 year old Todd and say, these are the skills, whether they're hunting or just, just as a woodsman that, you know, that guys can take away from like, you know, an elder, right. This, that, that's been there and had to do it a different way, learned through a different time. Um, you know, what are some of the things that you would, you would tell yourself or you would tell that guy? So I probably would, um, that's a good question. I probably wouldn't do a whole lot different because I never was a trail camera guy. Um, early on 20, 21 years old, I got away from bait, never really went back to it. Um, so I wouldn't do a whole lot of things different that way, but I would probably let myself be a little more free. And, um, I probably would have got mobile quicker, a little bit quicker. Um, and I probably would, even though I did a lot of it, I probably would have did more winter scouting back in those days. And that's a pretty, pretty bottled up, uh, answer but I would have done more back then. Um, it took me a while to start logging things. Start, um, probably was 30 years old before I started like printing out maps and putting my sign on maps, which people can do that so much simpler now than back in those days. Um, but I would also probably, um, well, there's things you pick up along the way just from other people and, and just your experience. You can't, build experience without putting time in the woods you, you really can't it's it's like one of the, the most famous fishing lines as well it's like you need time on the water to get be be good at fishing you need time in the tree stand to be good at at, at putting yourself in the right places it, it, it's as simple as that um so i wouldn't change a whole lot because i've had a really really good run <laughs> I've, I've had a lot of fun you know what i mean i've had a lot of fun um i probably would have traveled out side of outside of the areas that i was basically uh living in or just the up um a little bit earlier um but i I wouldn't change a whole lot i wouldn't change a whole lot i I like to get my hands in the dirt i love to see the sign i mean i'm kind of weird like that i i I like to go to the the next ridge i like to if i'm if i go into a place and the sign is there i like to stay there but then I like to go to the next ridge next time, you know, go I, the excitement for, for me is finding new stuff. Really? Yeah. You, you know? 
Yeah. So when you're out there and when you're saying, okay, I want to do more winter scouting, I want to do more scouting. Mm-hmm. Like at that time, did you know what you were looking for? Or for, like I say, for these guys that are listening, like, what are you going out there and what are the things that maybe you didn't really know what you were looking at until, until you got there? Like, for example, like right now, I like, I just posted that thing. I'm going back through that book of mapping trophy bucks. Right. And I read that book before, but before I like really just dove into like hunting by myself, just wandering through, like, like really getting my teeth kicked in and, you know, having fun. But now going back through it, when I'm reading these things, I'm going like, oh, aha, <laughs> that's what he meant. Like I can, I can, I can understand that now. So for these guys who, like I said, who, who are just getting into this, trying to, trying to go out there and, and learn, um, what are some things, like I said, that you wished you would have, that, that you maybe didn't even know what you were looking at at that time for like the winter scouting, like where we're at right now. Okay. So there's a, there's a, there's a bunch of things. And that's where I said, I wouldn't have changed much because I got the experience through, through trial and error and all that kind of stuff. But, um, to, to believe if one of the things that I'm a track guy, I've always been a track guy. However, when it comes to tracks, a lot of times if I had a set of tracks crossing a road, up in the UP or even some of the roads around here, if I had a big set of tracks, I didn't necessarily have faith in knowing when that deer crossed. I have a lot better faith now that if there's a, a good set of tracks crossing a road, which way he was going in the morning and which way, if he was going in or out, you know, morning or, or evening, I have a better feel now than I did back in those days. And I would, I, I'll, I'll put a plan together right there on those tracks. Now, you know what I mean? A lot more than I would back in those, in those days. Also, I think, um, and it, like I said, it's, it's a pretty cliche thing now is like where the deer mostly travel. Like a lot of times if I didn't have tracks or if I, I, I generally would always find cross places where deer are crossing roads and, and, and two at roads and tracks and just stuff like that. Um, but I would probably have went to water much quicker. Um, in my career, I would have stayed close to water. Not that I was ever really too far away from water, but, um, water is for me, it, it it's a very huge part of, of the way I hunt. Um, it's also, uh, one of the things about wet areas is what areas hold those tracks fresher for longer. Um, when there's dry parts of the year, like this fall here was dry and it was hard to stay on tracks. And I normally can, in the areas that I hunt here, I stay on my tracks. I, I watch areas for when the, you know, I know when there's does in areas and then I know when the bucks finally come in. And, uh, it was hard to keep track of that this year because it was such a dry year. We were in like black mud too, but it was a dry year. And when you get up above the waterline, that stuff is like rock hard and tracks don't stick well. And it's hard to stay, stay on, on, on that, that fresh sign like that. So, so, so when you're talking about that, uh, being around water, mm-hmm. I'm assuming that you're not talking about. Be, just because of like where you're at and the climate, I would assume you're not talking about like water for like, you want to be on like a water hole. You're just saying, okay, well, you're, you're concentrating on near water and how deer navigate around those areas with water. Yeah. Well, let's, let's face it. So water is water's made every drainage that we have in every, every place that we've had over the mill, you know, thousands of years, millions of years, whatever you believe in how this, how long the earth has been around. Uh, but water has created all those things that have made deer move the way they move now. And the water where there is water, there's always deer. 
they use those trail the the, the, the low spots that, that water is created over the you know over time and uh it, it it just it forces everything in thermals pull down into the water deer just know that if i'm close to water i'm pretty safe there's a barrier there generally a lot of times and then there's an open there's escape the other way so the deer are a lot like bears they will run water lines they'll run rivers they'll run drainages you know it's just like at what elevation they 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 uh, run it but water is also for me i've killed a lot of deer paddling in and you can get um you can get yourself uh in the right position without putting your ground scent down a lot by being able to paddle around the corner to get the wind right and come in from that side and maybe only have to walk up the up the bank 30 yards to get into the right spot and then you have 350 degrees that you can use you only you only screwed up 15 degrees of your whole hunting area that you're you're going into hunt so water for me has always been huge it's it's been huge but i would have probably had a watercraft and everything else a lot quicker a lot earlier in my career so we were debating about this uh towards the end of our season here and we weren't necessarily debating it was more of a discussion and it didn't necessarily have to do with water access, but it, it, it definitely plays in. So when you're, you're doing that, right. How are you like, so what type of an area are you targeting uh, to land on and set up? Cause you're saying, okay, well, I've only messed up 15 degrees. So I'm assuming that you're parking your boat, your canoe, and you're walking into your tree, you know, straight, you know, maybe not too far. And so then the, the water will be at your back, right? And I'm assuming that the wind is coming into that, you know, so blowing towards the river or down the river, right? Yeah. It, it, so a lot of the, the stuff that we hunt is is ditches and lakes with a lot of points. And, uh, you know, not to give too many things away, but a lot of uh, flood control stuff um, where there's just narrow little ditches in and you – you know, generally when you're making your plan on a Friday night to what you're going to be doing Saturday morning, you're going in Saturday morning, you're, you're, you know, basically which way the wind's coming and you say, okay, I got to go up three ditches and then cut to the East or three ditches and then cut up to the West to get in there. And if you know your, your spots, well, you know, Hey, I know where the trail is coming through there or, or whatever. But generally one of the things I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make sure that nobody else knows where my boat's at. So that's, that's one thing, but it's generally the most important thing is the, the stuff down here. Is so, so thick. I mean, I laugh at some of the stuff. I mean, I, I know it's a lot of stuff doesn't show up on camera as much as, is what it's really like when you're standing in the woods. But I, I think it's funny when people put up pictures of, Oh, this it's thick right there. It's thick right there. They have no idea what thick is. <laughs> you come to South Jersey and you're in briars that are wrapped or you're in frag that's wrapped in briars with honeysuckle blended into it. And then the trees that are along there are, are holly trees. You know what I mean? Like you're getting poked, pulled and you can't see through it and you can't breathe. You, you know, it's, it's nasty stuff. So a lot of times I'm just trying to make sure that I got a, a, a good um, entryway up to the tree that I want to go in, you know, there, th our trees are down here are in a lot of strips, you, you know, they're, they're along the water and then it's just miles of, of reeds out there. So th that's a lot of what I'm doing is I'm just making sure that I can get in there quiet. I can get in there, uh, you know, quietly without other people knowing that I, this is where I'm going. Cause 
once you start breaking trails in these places, then other people will come in and, and use your trails in, as well, too. So I like to, to be able to kind of slide into the reeds. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores, and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. And let those read, don't break nothing apart along the water where people can see it, you know, it'd be a little bit sneaky about it. But for the most part, I'm trying to get into a spot that I'm not blowing it out ground scent wise. And then my hunt will be good as well. Um, coming in from the downwind side of it. So that so. it's funny. You say like, you wish you would have done that earlier because I think of like, like the way that you outlined that. Um, I, I think of the canoe hunting as like a very, like kind of like a very UP thing. Like I think that, that's the first people that I've encountered people where they were doing that was, was in the UP. And then mm-hmm. also kind of like a, I don't know, an older generation type type thing. Right. Yeah. And so for yourself, that's one thing like I also wanted to ask you is, you know, I've heard you say before, like you're a gear guy, you like to like test out new gear and stuff like that, but yeah. you're also a trad guy. So in in your span of hunting, you know, which is probably ten years more than mine, and okay. I mean, you could argue that because you were in the UP, you were even ten years behind that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that like, so you've seen like a crazy amount of like changes in yeah. in things. How has that affected your your style and to be a a, a gear guy and a trad guy are almost like diametrically opposed. Yeah, I can see that, but, I, but I'm always trying to build my kit to be, to be right you know, for me. You know what I mean? I'm always working on trying to, I've always kind of tinkered around with things. I I'm a fabricator. Welder fabricator is one of the, the little specialty things that I do in the, in the maintenance world. It, and so I've, I've always screwed around. I've made my own camera arms back in the day when I was trying to, trying to get famous on, uh, <laughs> filming hunts and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, 
I can run a mill, I can run a lathe, I weld, you know, and uh, I, I'm always kind of tinkering around with things anyway. So um, I like to, uh, if I'm going to screw around with it, and there's a couple people out there that might get an opportunity to take a look at what I'm saying and tell you know, I'm pretty much a straight shooter. If things piece of crap, I'm going to call it a piece of crap. You know what I mean? If, if some of the bags that we, that we have these days, I mean, they're, you, you basically can just say, Hey, that's a, it's a Walmart bag that they put a couple of hoops on or, or, or something like that. And you got to call it for what it really is. You know what I mean? Like without, you know, I, I, if you're, if you're screwing around, I'm always trying to, get things the way that I want them. I wish I could make everything myself. I, you know, I sew a lot of things up. I, 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 um, do things to make them quiet for me. I want my stuff quiet. I mean, I've been taping lone wolf stands since for at least 15 years. I've been hockey tape. We're a hockey family. Um, you, you know what I mean? I got hockey tape everywhere. I I've always had hockey tape all over my sticks, pegs. I mean, there's, I quiet everything down, you know, I, I don't know. That's just the way I am. I do not want the accidental cling and clang in the woods when I'm going into hunt because now I just blew everything I was planning for last night. All the stuff I put my everything together, the plan, the walk. I walked in here, you know, however far I walked in or I paddled in here, and then I go and clang. It's over. It's far. You know what I mean? In your mind, in the dark, you're thinking it's over. It doesn't necessarily always end that way, but I just want my stuff quiet. I want my stuff quiet and I want it to work the way it's supposed to work. I want to know where it's at. I want to, you know, I want my pack, you know, I, I suppose Greg and maybe a couple other people, my brother and stuff like that. They know that I'm very, very particular with my, my stuff. And, you know, that's just the way I've always been. I'm, I'm a basically a, a trailer park kid that, you know what I mean? Like every time of the oldest of four, very poor people, poor, poor kids, you know what I mean? And, uh, we didn't have much Adam, you know what I mean? So when we had something, you had to take care of it. You kept it away from your brother and you kept it away from your sisters and all the other kids in the, in the hood. You know what I mean? Like you kept them away from your stuff and you hit it. You know what I mean? Cause you wanted your stuff to be there when you wanted it. You, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. I just have that. It's a different mentality, I guess. You, you know what I mean? So I don't know. So, so in that, span of your hunting like what do you think has been um some of the most influential gear like that has really been a game changer right right yeah <laughs> hashtag game changer um and mm -hmm. the other things that you think are like overhyped because i'm 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 going somewhere with this and uh i just want to kind of see what what gear is like unnecessary yeah. and what is in your mind like absolutely necessary okay so what is absolutely for for a bow hunter for a traditional bow hunter absolutely you have to be elevated in a tree um you can get away with you can get away with having a bunch of presets i did that for many years i would have 30 tree stands out for a bunch of different winds every saddle and every ridge system i would have one for each wind set up in there you know you can do all that you and you can keep it fresh but one of the things that i always learned even in my 20s and early thirties is I would get lazy. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, well, that tree stands closer. I'm just going to go jump in that and throw on that. You know, you know what I mean? So in all actuality, making yourself pull your stand down and bring it down and have it on your back. And now you have to put it back up in a different tree anyway. So you might as well put yourself in the right spot. You're going to, you cut the laziness out of it. You know what I mean? As far as putting yourself in fresh spots and all that kind of stuff. So from that, that point of view, the tree stand is essential or an somehow to be um, 
elevated is essential. Um, a climbing system for that. Um, a good quiet pack is essential. Um, those are really the only essential things. You know what I mean? That you that you really need. Now, if you go back to what you say about what has changed and what's hype and this and that, there's dude, there's a lot of stuff that's hype. But uh, the, the biggest change is tree stands, like a portable tree stand. Um, compared to, like I said, you know, we were putting pallets up in trees and you know what I mean? Putting, cutting some leftover pieces of two by four, we nail it into a tree for steps to get up to the next branch or whatever. And, and that's the way we hunted back in those days. And even rich guys didn't really have anything better than that back in those days. You know what I mean? That was the best thing that was out there. You know what I mean? So just a tree stand uh, that you can possibly move you know with a with a chain or a strap on it whatever it was was a you know the first generation of tree stands that was huge that in my lifetime that that was huge um game changer uh i don't know <laughs> game changer not for me but for the world i stay away from it is cameras i mean cameras changed in my lifetime there was no cameras we had later on when we started running bear baits and stuff like that uh, we would have like the trail timers with a string on it you know what i mean and th that kind of stuff and the only thing you could really tell was the time and then whatever way the string was blowing well like which way the deer was coming or or bear or whatever it was you were you were trying to you know so that th there's a totally different hunter out there nowadays than, than what i try to be and, and you know what i mean and th what the men were back in my time so the, the the cameras have really really changed that you know you know you it's really you're really really hard pressed right now to not go into any public land and not run into cameras you know what i mean and it just it just takes your heart and twists it every time you see one it's not that i'm sharing this with it's not that i'm mad at the guy with the camera or nothing like that it's i am not really the first person here and i know i'm not i know that you know what i mean like I talked to a lot of local guys around here and all these ditches and stuff like that. They've all been in those ditches when they were young, younger, you know what I mean? So I know I'm not the first guy in these ditches and stuff like that. But when I see a camera there, it's like, Oh, it just, it, it, I don't know. Oh, it I, makes it, it I hear takes the experience away. It takes the experience away, but not, but that's that guy's experience. So he's got his experience too. So when he gets a picture of me walking by and getting all mad in his camera, you know what I mean? Like, you, you know what I mean? He's probably, having the same thing like his heart's getting twisted too there's another guy back here how could there be another guy back here you know what i mean like so the, the cameras are have been a huge game changer like i said there's a there's a whole different breed of hunter that with cameras you know what i mean like that's that changes things um so that's a game changer uh portable tree stands uh the equipment today um, that people are shooting I mean, crossbows. I mean, they were illegal to make in high school because they were illegal to ha possess in Michigan back in, in the, you know, when I was growing up, you couldn't even possess a crossbow. You know what I mean? Like, so uh, that's a game changer. There's a lot of things going on with that. There's a whole different group of people that come into the woods since those things have been introduced. Um, and that's not a bad thing that, that they're there. You know what I mean? It's different um muzzle loaders think about in my lifetime what muzzle loaders have, have changed it was basically and i'm not saying that i'm like 1800s or whatever but it was basically a flintlock and then you went to like a thompson center where, where you're still breech loading it and stuff like that you know what i mean and then all of a sudden boom we, we put, had a removable 
plug. You know what I mean? And and, and we're using a primer. You, you know what I mean? Like that's that's a huge change. You know. Um. Yeah, I mean th- th- those are some of the equipment I think that are game changers in deer hunting. So. And then out of uh, out of those outside of like the camera, right? For you, mm-hmm. what do you think is things that guys focus too much of their energy on? Too too much, too many things that are like overhyped. Overhyped. Well, I think. I, I mean, we. If you're a bull hunter, you want to be in close. I, I want to be in close. Um, so I think when guys are taking long shots and with the equipment that they can shoot, they can shoot, uh, bullet holes, you know what I mean? The 80 yards with a bow with the equipment that we have today, the compound equipment and stuff like that, that that's not a problem. But, uh, I think it's, it's overhyped in the hunting situation that you would expect that hunting a whitetail that you're going to get that shot. You know, I think that's overhyped. Um, uh, I don't know. I think we, I think we all walk our own journey, buddy. You know what I mean? We all walk our own journey and <laughs> eventually we do leave our, most people, um, and hopefully you do it and people do it before they get an opportunity to, you know, they have shoulders and, and arms and, and everything that work good. But most people eventually come over to the trad, you know, once they've had a lot of success with the compound and I'm, I'm no different, you know? So we're, so we're going to get into that, but the the reason that I was, I was asking you about the gears because like, I, I, I personally feel like, like my system and like, I would say that it's probably been, you know, it probably took me like a solid, um, two years to be just like for right now for me to like climb with my sticks and go up and down. Um, and especially with like the attachment method with the, the latitude sticks, but I mean, mm-hmm. I don't even think about it. Like, I don't, you know, you were talking about like being lazy or like whatever, like it, it doesn't, uh, it's just part of the hunt. Like it's, it's, you know, just like it used to be with the climber, you know, you just hook it on and climb up. Like it wasn't, I, I, I didn't, the, the lazy part. I mean, like I remember back for the first time I hunted Ohio, I mean, hell we wouldn't even help. We wouldn't hunt the same tree. But I would throw my climber and my bow in a brush pile and ride my bicycle, you know, the mile or two miles or however far it was back to where we were, where the truck was, just so I didn't have to carry that stuff in in the morning. But we still climbed the tree in the morning and it was going to be a different tree because it was going to be a different wind or something like that. But I think the the comfort level of going up and down and, and like for me now, like I don't even think of that. That's just a part of getting in the tree and it's the more i've again the more i've progressed and the more i've learned i've learned like i don't have to be you know nine sticks up to to be where i need to be it's it's usually lower and it's just as effective or or more um so that that doesn't necessarily play in anything to me but but so you um there's lots of guys you know uh you know matt lair you know, who's just started his podcast and, you know, they, they, they tout this like hybrid hunting. Right. And, you know, you were, you were telling me like how hard I was making it trying to hunt from a saddle. Uh, you know, and I mean, it's been, that bow is so long and it is so tough. And so like, I've got the, the wind Walker in the, uh, 
in the garage that I'm, I'm messing with and uh, trying to figure that out. But like from a gear side, from like an overhype side, from like everybody wants to buy gear that's going to make them more successful. Um, right. And it's like, so now I'm super comfortable getting up in a tree. Now it's like, okay, well now it's a tree stand again. And like, okay, now, you know, we're going to preach how good this is and how much it's going to help us and all this stuff. Well, it's going to cost you, you know, a $500 tree stand, you know, pick one um, to make yeah. it better. So like for you from that, um, I don't know, philosophy of like the hybrid, like a, a saddle and a small tree stand type thing. Um, what are the benefits and like, what, what are the positives that you're seeing out of it? And why do you see it as a, a the go-to option for yourself? Right. So for, for one, I've been saddle hunting for, you know, basically what, five years, something like that. The year the tethered really hit the market is when I, I jumped on the first, what is it? The method mantis, the, the mantis. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. The, the, I, uh, bought the mantis that year, talked with Greg. He said, yeah, I'm going to get one a shot too. And, you know, both kind of start doing it and helping each other out with this and that and, and whatnot. And, uh, like I said, uh, that was all right. It was good. It was also, I had started trad hunting probably three years before that or something too. So, um, I actually had some pretty good success right away. You know what I mean? I killed three or four deer the first year with, with, with a saddle and a couple of nice bucks so that it, it worked out pretty good. And then things started, you know, changing a little bit. I think my body starts to change a little bit. Um, in that I, I fought it for probably five years with the, with the saddle. Um, I, like saddle hunting that'll never not be part of my my kit you know what i mean um however i learned real quick i i started with the podium the out uh, out on a limb podium so it was a wider one so that helped me out a lot um it was in my price range at the time too so um so i started with that that was wider i i think i went to a predator after that and that's when i really started having problems with positioning and moving and starting getting busted a lot um, even early season with a lot of cover, I started getting busted a lot and it really started getting under my skin that I was getting busted in the saddle of the amount of moving. And then I started realizing like, hold on a second here. The problem really is I don't have, I don't have as much shooting with, with a, a canted 60 inch bow. I don't have as much shooting as, as, um, what a compound guy has. I mean, that's pretty obvious anyway. But I started realizing, like, I got to get away from the tree more. A ring of steps is not going to do me any good. You know, it doesn't do me one bit of good with a with a, a canted uh, 60 inch bow. You know what I mean? I got to get away from the tree. And then I started realizing, OK, I get away from the tree. Now I got it's a little bit wider and stuff. And I actually went to the long the lone wolf custom gear, um, the ambush. It was, I started realizing like, hold on a second here, a couple pounds more, but the amount of real estate and the, the, the so much less rocking to get yourself worked around with, you know what I mean? And I was, I missed a few deer on that small platform because I didn't have my form right because I'm not, my feet weren't set. My feet weren't planted. My, you know, I'm trying to stick a foot here and stick a foot there and shoot like a compound guy was, as long as I keep my tee right, it's good. With it, with a trad bow, it's it's not. I mean, I tried all kinds of things. I tried clickers and everything else to make sure that I was proving my draw length, so I wasn't short short drawn or overdrawn. 
you, you know what I mean? And making the, your, your uh, arrow a little bit weaker and whatnot. So there was, a, there was a lot of learning curve with that. And then over the last couple of years working with that ambush, I started realizing like, dude, 50 sits a year really hurt my knees a lot. You know what I mean? Like in a saddle, they hurt my knees. I'm standing a lot. I, I've never really been much of a sit. I'm more of a leaner than I have been a sitter. Um, when we went to the latitude um, method two, man, that really helped out with the sitting. I started to sit a little bit and dig my knees in a little bit more. But in the long run, I need to be able to to actually sit for a while. Y you know what I mean? On longer sits towards November, I need to sit more than just always be standing or or in a a, a a saddle just squatting there you know what i mean kind of kind of thing it's not 100 percent for me um from from then on and uh i'm not 100 percent going back to a tree stand either but i have a lot of gear that i was using to saddle hunt so um then I, then i got the the point five this year started messing around with that and uh sort of learn real quick hybrid can be a thing but you there's some certain things that you need to do to make that efficient and there's certain things that there's limitations there like 26 inches away from the tree and you're leaning out on the tip of that that thing it's even if you tie that thing in you're not the side pressure on that is not going to be it's going to move on you it's going to break bark it's good you know you're going to throw deer you know so it, it I don't think it's perfect. I don't think the hybrid thing is exactly perfect, a perfect um, world either. I, I, I really don't. So, but if you got the gear, then you should try it. But I think there's some things and we can go over some of the things I think you need to do to make it efficient, as efficient as you possibly can. So, yeah. Why don't, why don't you do that? Just because you've already, you've, you've, you've had those headaches and heartaches. Yeah. So one of the things you, you obviously know is all the tree stands nowadays, for the most part, they all have two Versa buttons. If you're going to lean out or put any side pressure on a tree stand, you need to put the second, um, the second Versa button uh, strap on or something. And one thing that really works good for me is the Amsteel guy, the USA. If you just put one of those things on there with a the bungee cord, there's no weight. You know, you don't have the, the noise of a buckle and you don't have to tuck the buckle away and all that stuff. You can just leave it right there, all bunched up, right on your Versa button and just waiting there for you when, when if you are going to go hybrid that day. You know, if, you, if you're going to lean out and stuff, you can lock that that thing in. Um, I think one of the other things you need to do is if you're going to use a saddle, um, like a, a saddle to hybrid, I think you also need to get rid of your bags. I don't think, uh, I think you need to get rid of your dump bags. Um, just start carrying your linesman belt in your backpack or in a, in a side leg pouch or something like that. Um, but you got to get rid of the bags. It, there's already too much stuff going on there with a saddle and you're trying to use it as a hybrid with the, with the tether going behind you to the, to the thing. Um, you need, you need to get rid of the bags. I think, um, I honestly think that we, the bags that we put on our saddles are, I think it's part of the, some of the movement that we get busted for those bags flopping around when you're, when you're, if you're making moves and stuff like that, I think, I think we could probably get, get rid of some of our bags. You see guys, guys with two big old bags and you know what I mean? You're leaning out there and I, I think you can clean things up a lot. Um, it may not be as automatic, you know, by not having your linesman's right there at the ready and all that kind of stuff. But, if you're going to carry a backpack in, 
just carry it on one of your, I'll carry your, your, uh, tether and your linesman and your, your gear strap up there, carry it in your, in your, one of your external bag pouches on your backpack. It's going up there with you. Anyway, you, you're going to break it out at the bottom of the tree. When you start breaking your sticks off and your platform off, put your linesman, you know, pull your lineman's belt out then. Um, especially if you're, if you're high breading, you, 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 the bag is going to be nothing but a nuisance to you when you're trying to stand up for a shot. When you do get this, uh, like a regular tree stand shot, that bag is going to flop on something. It's going to, you know, it's going to be in your way when you're trying to get your seat up to stand up on there. I think we, you need to eliminate your bags if you're going to try high breading. And I think another thing you have to really kind of think about is uh, line management when you're, when you're talking about a uh, hybrid style. So um, there is going to be a lot more uh, tether excess tether hanging that you have to deal with. If you're going to go hybrid, you either need to shorten it up, shorten up your, your ropes a little bit and put your own uh, knots on the end, your stopper knot on the end and, and shorten it a little bit. Or um, you need to, you need to think of a way to manage that, that tag end because you're not going to be using as much of it for the most, most part. Um, when you're sitting on, when you're sitting in the tree stand as a tree stand in the hybrid style. So those are some of the things, I don't know, you, any other things that you've ever really kind of thought about if you ever were going to try it or anything like that, or have you tried? No, no, I've not. So, um, when I was in the UP and I had that buck come in, I was at the bottom of a, a cedar tree, mm-hmm. you know, a foot, eight inches off the ground or whatever, but I had my tether set up like the original lone wolf guy. Right. So it was just straight off of my, my waist. So I could just lean back and I had nothing up above me. I had all the room in front of me, um, you know, for my, for my hands. Um, and, uh, so then when I got back home and like I said on the last podcast, when when I was waiting to do the podcast with Byron, like I pulled down that wind walker, and like, it's got a, a Versa button on it. Somebody had put a metal plate on there, uh, but I don't like where the, like the, the angle that it, that the, that the strap is with the, um, the cables that come down, like it needs to be like re-engineered and the stand weighs nothing. It's made of aluminum. And no, no. Uh, <laughs> so I've, I'm, I'm really eyeballing it to see like structurally like where i can put a hole in it or i can shore it up to add another because exactly what you were talking about like i want to put that second um uh strap along the bottom because you know just standing on it turned around like the thing was bouncing all over and then like the side pressure would just kick out like immediately and i you know i'm i'm from back of the day or at least Frank is so on our all of our loggy bayou climbers like we drilled holes in them and put lag bolts through them and you know then then we sharpened those up so we were getting additional bite and I think that comes from like his days with the baker and all that stuff Uh, that was just like a a normal thing but the thing that I don't understand and I you know thinking about it and listening to you talk about it I'm so I, I guess I, at this point, after five years, like, I feel like I wouldn't even know what to do in like a real tree stand, like with nothing in front of me. Um, it'd be, it would be very, very foreign. Um, so what I was thinking about doing is putting the, um, so if we were thinking of a traditional saddle, 
um, putting the the stand maybe angled at say four o'clock so that I, so that my shooting like strong side would be very much more open. My 12 o'clock would be open because I'd have a lot more, but I could still be facing where I was pretty sure the deer were coming from. I would just have more of a dance floor, I guess, to, to deal with. And I, th- I think like, to some degree, like people are listening, they could say, well, you could just do that with a, a, a regular platform here now. And, and, and that may be, uh, the case, uh, with, but what I've found with that longbow, it's just absurd, uh, absurdly long. Um, and then I don't know why I'd never, it never dawned on me to try something like this. Uh, but you know, uh, tethered, they have the videos out there with, the. They were using Kydex and they came out with their little hook that goes behind your sight. Well, I saw some trad dude have a spoon stuck in his quiver so that he was hanging his quiver on there. And that might've been you for, for all I know. No, I'll show you what I do. (laughs) This is what I do with all my cell weight quivers right here. I punch a couple holes in there and I put a braided rope on them. And then for, for saddle hunting, that's right on your your hook on the tree right there. Yeah. With the arrow, you know what I mean? The arrow's away from the tree and yep. whatnot. So yep. that's the, I modify all my quivers that way. Yeah. So it, until I saw that, like that never once dawned on me to do something like mm-hmm. that. So like mine's hanging from the the string. So the the handle of the bow's at my kneecaps and the bow's, you know, sometimes damn near touching the ground. So there's an incredible uh, amount of movement. And uh, in, in, in all of that. Um, so yeah. it's a, it's a wonder that I've had the opportunities that I've had. Um, but you know, all that to say, like when I'm thinking about it, I'm, I'm really taking from guys that are doing it successfully. And, and so when people say like, this is what you need to try, you know, to be, you know, to give yourself better odds, like I, I'm listening, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So there, so when you think about the, the tree stand, like if, if I'm going to bring that, that 0.5, if I'm hunting with that thing, I'm going to basically be hunting with my strong side as a normal tree stand strong side. So like, like from the sitting position away, facing away from the tree, that is where I'm planning on shoot, doing my shooting. Cause I'm in a tree stand right now. I'm not in a necessarily in a platform now. However, it's good to have that high bread. So you could get over to the other side and get away from the tree a little bit if you have to, but there there's, to, to be honest with you from a tree stand, there's really not a whole lot of things you can't shoot out of a tree stand. Um, yeah, uh, like the tree stand, <laughs> me, me and John from, from my cat, John white from, from our podcast. Um, we debate in person a lot about saddle hunting and tree stand hunting. And, uh, I wish I'm glad people don't get to hear it, but you know, if people heard it, they would, they'd be like, he's not even a saddle hunter. Because I, there's a lot of things that I did much better in a tree stand over the years than I do in a saddle. Um, again, I was young, a little bit younger when I was, you know, you know uh, so, but, um, yeah, tree stands, tree stands, just, just a regular old tree stand. Um, you can do just about everything from it. Y- y- you know what I mean? Well, I but, mean, you gotta, now granted, again, it's almost like tree stands are like, 
in a way like regressing, right? Because we're talking about a wind walker and a point five. And if you look at mm-hmm. like we're 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 yeah. we're talking like the same thing, but they it's just one is very, very refined. Yes. And one was, you know, the the blueprint and then they said, okay, well, we're gonna do that better. Um mm-hmm. but but the days of like this and, and people will use them and they'll argue it to till the day they die that the summit Goliath or the Titan is the greatest tree stand ever. But my God, it's as big as me or you, you know, carrying that thing in the woods. And, and, you know, there's, there's obviously, uh, some give there and, you know, for me, and I think, I don't know if it's, uh, uh, just strictly a timeline, but like for myself, I've grown immensely as a hunter, uh, in this time of the saddle, but at the same time, it's been with the, uh, implement of, you know, same time as all the cell cameras and, you know, the Spartan Mm -hmm. forges and all of the podcasts and all of the information. So to say that if the, the, the saddle technology, whatever, wasn't, wasn't there, um, but I think like with a gear and this is what I was, we were talking about with Byron is like, I don't know where they go next. Um, and then to the, to the point of, you know, that book and like kind of your experiences too, like, <laughs> I, I, I don't think the deer are really innovating, uh, that much. So they're, they're still moving the way that they always have, you know, they, they get wise of humans and we put houses and roads and in the good hunting spots. But at the same time, they're, they're still using those drainages, that water, um, all of those things. So the the better we understand them, we can use a stick and a rock and sinew and do the same thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about like the way hunters techniques in the last 15 years have changed, too i mean it's it's night and day compared to what you know like i said it was it was standard for a good hunter to have 15 tree stands up up 20 years ago you know in all the good spots all the scouting you did all winter long you're saying that there's one going in that tree there's going to be one going in that tree like the the wind is perfect here you know you, you and then you pull them down and put them all back up the next next late summer you know what i mean it was part of the thing if if you look at the old uh um Todd brings it. That's what he was doing every year. He was putting all his stands up in those, those prime spots. You go in there, you know what I mean? Like he would have a, a week where he was hanging tree stands in the summer and late summertime, you know, trimming lanes and all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? That's, that's the way it was done back in those days. I mean, especially on a private for somebody like him, he had private pieces, you know what I mean? So it's gotta be longer than that. Cause I think like, so this year, will be like my wife and I's like 20th wedding anniversary. And that's right. when I met like when I started hanging out with her like and her dad was just like tree stand on my back we're going. And I was like this is wild. And it, and it but it was all public. There was no we he had no public or no private to hunt, you know. So we weren't hanging stands anywhere and it it was it was a lot like this where you know there was no Nobody, we didn't want anybody to know where we were going. We didn't want anybody to know anything. I love that. And, you know, and this, you know, we're talking, you know, 20 some years ago now. Yeah. And it's, it's just odd to think that that's like 
And, and that's what I love about this and, and being able to have these conversations and then bringing, you know, with our Patreons and the Patreon hunt and getting people to experience this because it's just always been this way for me. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like yep. from, from the time I started seriously bow hunting, it's always been like, okay, your dad's got a loggy bayou, bring it over. And then we modified it and. That's what I use, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. And so one of the things I had heard you talk about on one of your other podcasts and like with, with me going like half in half out on the trad stuff. And there's like the conversation with Byron and I've got some other buddies who like are, are dipping their feet in it. And, and you know, I just absolutely love shooting the bow. Like I, I, it it makes me feel like a kid and I I mean, I can't, I can't. I can't reiterate that enough that like, I don't mind shooting my compound, but like shooting the trad bow is like, I'm a fast shooter with my compound, like very fast anyways. And I'm an incredibly fast shooter with the, I mean, I can shoot my whole quiver. Like by the time you get one shot off with a compound with the, with the trad bow and, and yeah. be perfectly happy with it. Um, but there's this, 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 strange thing in that same 15 year period that you're talking about where, you know, I, I, I'm a little disappointed in you, Todd. I'm not going to lie that you don't have a stormy Cromer or like a Filson hat on. Um, but you do have the, you know, what looks like a Pendleton wool shirt on, you know, very mountain manny type stuff. <laughs> it's a car heart. It's a car <laughs> and, and there has been like this, this move towards like trad being like the cool thing or like whatever. And yeah. like, you know, four or five years ago, there was a real big, like push where like, Oh, we need to do this. And those guys kind of went in and went out. You, you don't necessarily see that as much anymore. Um, but like making the switch, like full time, like you, you said you did six, seven years ago, maybe longer than that. Yeah, I think it's in my seventh or eighth year. Yeah. But like for me, it's like, I don't, I, I don't feel like I'm a very successful hunter as it stands. And then it's like, I, I almost feel like it's an arrogant move to be like, all right, well, I'm going to make this way harder. Um, I'm going to try and do this way differently. And then to try to be like in this, I don't, I, 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 in no way do I mean it as like the podcast space, but I mean, in like today's day and age with social media and everything, we're inundated with all of these like big bucks and it kind of skews your expectations of like, A, what everybody else is killing and B, what's out there. Uh, what the expectations are. And then to, like I said, to, to wander into it, like very naively, like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to try this stick bow now. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I know. I knew exactly. Um, it was about mid mid season. I think it was 2015, something like that. Um, it was about mid season. I said, all right, this is it. I, I think I shot my second buck, just a normal three-year-old around here, like 115 to 120 inch eight pointer, nine pointer, whatever it was. And I said, and a couple of those. And I was like, that's it. I want to do something different. You know, I, I, not not that I wasn't getting the adrenaline from killing a deer and, and, you know, the, the successful feeling and all that kind of stuff, but it was, it wasn't like it had been. And I said, I need something different and I'm going, I'm buying a trad bow. I'm going to finish this year out when, when, uh, December 31st comes January 1st. I'm not going to hunt until I have a bow ordered, start working on a bow and I will go out next year. 
with with the boa. Hopefully, hunt turkeys with it in the spring. But I'm going to work on it, and that's what I'm going to do. And that was it. I, I turned around right there. That was like I said. I think it, uh, if I look back, I think it was January first, two thousand sixteen. Um, like I said, I've shot some turkeys with it. I've you know with with it. I've shot a few bucks, and I don't know. Probably a I don't know. I got, I got marks on it. I think there's probably like 10 deer or something like that. I've killed over the last few years, something like that, maybe a little bit more, but, uh, I did have some shoulder problems. So I had to use a crossbow for one month during the opening, uh, month, uh, not last year, but the year before. Um, and then last year they came back right when season was coming in, but I was able to, to turn down an old single cam bow down to like 45 pounds and get away with that for most of the season last year until I could work my shoulder back up. And by, by the rut, I was hunting with a, with the recurve again last year. So, so what, um, what, I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't think that you're the end all be all to be making rules on when people should switch to trad. Um, but, uh, you know, what were some of the factors that you think guys should take into consideration when, when doing it? I mean, what are, what are some things that maybe, uh, are overlooked going into okay. it? Um, for me, it was very simple. It was, if a deer was inside of, of 25 yards and it presented any shot that I could, I could get an arrow in, the thing was dead. And generally, for the most part, with with the with the compound in the probably in the last at least seven or eight years of compound hunting, it was dead, and it was majority of the time it was dead within sight. You know what I mean? I got a I, I'm shooting sixty five pounds. I'm a, th- a true thirty inch draw length. You know what I mean? I didn't have any power problems at all with blowing right through a deer with an inch and a half mechanical three blades spitfire. I could blow through, you know what I mean? One shoulder at least and blow right through a deer, you know, there. And it was just a little bit too automatic and it doesn't bragging. That's just the way it, it, it evolved. It's a, this is the hobby that I've kind of picked. I, I, you know what I mean? I pick and choose fishing a little bit, but um, I'm, I picked hunting, bow hunting and I put a lot of time and effort into it. And it was, I wasn't getting, the same feeling I was getting. And I was like, Oh my goodness, man, this is not, this is not the way it's supposed to feel. You know what I mean? Like it's supposed to feel better than this and something has to change. And like I said, right around Thanksgiving of, of uh, 2015, I knew it was time. I, I need to put some challenge into this. It has to be fun again. It's not fun to shoot a bow. It's not even fun like to buy a new bow. Usually the, the first couple of months of having a new bow, it's, oh yeah, I get to screw around with it. And you know what I mean? There, you, it revamps your, your, your wanting to shoot a, a bow again. You know what I mean? Like I shoot every day, no matter what, but with a compound or with a, with a trad, I shoot generally every day and I have for 40 something years, but it wasn't fun with a compound to do it. You, you know what I mean? It wasn't fun anymore. So I went, went to the trad bow and I'm like, man, I loved it. I geeked right out. I've watched YouTube videos and learned. I didn't really, none of my friends hunt with a trad bow. So it was all, you know what I mean? Like watching videos and just figuring out what some of these guys. And generally if, if a guy's got a, he's either got a Michigan accent or he's got a Southern accent, I'm listening to him. You know what I mean? I really don't care about the people in between there too much. There's, 
there's Southern rednecks and there's Northern rednecks. And you, you know what I mean? Like those are the people I want to talk. I want to listen to, you know what I mean? So that's just the way it is. I don't know if you feel the same way, but yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. I don't I mean, I feel like from the, from the trad side, I really enjoy, uh, like, talking to the older people. I mean, I think because of my job, I talk to a lot of older people anyways, and I like perspective. I mean, if you think about like whatever the last three years with all the pandemic and all the stuff, like the most interesting thing for me was being in the position that I am talking to all these old folks who, you know, you can ask like, however you feel about it. Like you say, well, Hey, you've lived since the horse and buggy, like for real, like, what do you think about everything that's going on? Like, what's your take on it? And so, like, yeah. I think uh, one of the, one of the most influential like podcasts that I've done on me with me and like the trads, even like putting that that into my mind was talking to Warren Womack, right? Because you know when we asked him like, what is bow set up? And he's like, I shoot these bows. What we're like, what are your arrows? And he's like, I don't know. I got a pile of them. He goes, I can't shoot good enough that the arrow is going to make a difference. And I'm like, this guy's killed, you know, piles of deer and he doesn't even care what the arrow is. Like yeah, that, that's like, oh, that, that was uh very like reassuring. Like I can probably do this if, you know, it isn't. It, and it goes back to like my questions about like the gear and all that stuff. Like, you know, for a, for a guy who's, you know, very well respected in the community. He's been doing it forever to, have such blatant disregard for his like a pretty important piece of gear. Yeah. So, so I think that's, so I, I think there's, there, there's a bunch of people that take different trajectories in, in, in all different kinds of things from the killing trajectory. There isn't anybody, there isn't too many people that are any better than that guy as far as being an actual true bow hunter, you know? Um, however, you, if you look at fly fishing, there's guys that can go to into Orvis and have them, here, fill this box up with this and give me what's the bill. You, you know what I mean? And then there's guys like me that I like to tie my own flies. You know what I mean? I like to know, I like to make sure that I have everything that I need in that box for, for that and study the river, study the hatches and tie every fly. And I like to tie them the way I like to tie them. You, you know what I mean? Um, so for me, um, the older I get, the, the more I take the pleasure in screwing around with, with my own stuff. You know, you know what I mean? So I do want to know how much my air weighs. And I do want to know that when I draw back, it's not going to come out four inches stiff. You know what I mean? Because I didn't spine align it or, you know what I mean? Those kind of things are a little bit important to me. So, well, I mean, that's, I think that that's kind of where I ended up uh, this year. Right. So I've been shooting, I don't know. I bet had that bow for like two or three years now and I've been shooting it and I (laughs) missed a turkey. I, completely short draw like it is yeah. i'll send you the video it's hilarious um but like i never until i decided i was gonna like really try and take it out for deer this year and like try to figure out like where everything was at like i never shot it through paper i never did anything i just you know i just i i knew how well i could shoot it but i didn't know like why but i i did know that if i was going to go up to these i i changed broadheads to a 200 grain broadhead so i wanted to make sure that everything was going to fly good and i was going to make it i was going to actually cut the arrows down you know so that i was getting a relatively good 
flight and everything. I put on a 200 grain field point and a bare shaft and I got a bullet hole at seven yards and then I did it again. And I was like, why? Well, and I, like my buddy that shoots Strat, I was like, what are, what are you expecting out of this? Like I had like, it was, the first one was straight bullet hole. Second one was like maybe a quarter inch knock high tear. And I'm like, is this good enough? And he's like, ah, uh, yeah, that's, you know, yeah. <laughs> shoot yep. fingers. Like, yeah, 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 you're good. So, yeah. and I, but I just, that's just like to the animal, but like for, for guys that are thinking about getting into it or whatever, like, yeah, is so there a, is there a point where out. you don't, you don't have to geek out. You can go on three rivers, go right down their spine chart and build an arrow for your bow. They'll have your specific bow in there with your weight limbs and your draw length and all that stuff. And you can go right down that thing and you can do the, the, the shaft selector. It, it does everything for you. And when I, my first setup on the first longbow that I got, when I switched over, that's pretty much the way I did it. I, I said, okay, yeah, I think it's a bolt like this. It's a bolt like that. You know, I'm not a very good shot at this. I'm learning for it. It doesn't, you, you know, I went in there, I, I watched some videos on, you know, if it's cutting left or going right into a, into a target and how to just keep chopping her down until you borrowed a, at that point I was borrowing a saw from a, a friend, you know what I mean? Brought it over there and just cut a quarter inch off at a time until it started to straighten out. And th- that was pretty much the way I hunted for the first year. And all my arrows at deer flew true. You know what I mean? The one thing that I did was my arrows were probably 32 inches long with only like 175 up front. And I wasn't getting with a 45 pound uh, longbow. I wasn't getting complete. I was getting the broadhead to go through, but I was, the arrow was staying in it and I wasn't getting good blood trails with two blades. So I, the, then I started geeking out the next year and saying, okay, I gotta, I gotta figure out how I'm going to get through the deer. I want to get through these deer. You know what I mean? And that's where I started putting a lot more weight up front and I geeked out a little bit more on it. And that was right around the same time, you know, COVID's kind of happening and everybody's building their own bow shop in their house and ordering from, from Lancaster. You know what I mean? Like then I said, you know, and then that that's, that's pretty much it. Started geeking out. I would never pay anybody to, I wouldn't buy a pre-built arrow now. You know what I mean? I want to do it myself. So, so for, for you, let's do uh, uh story time with Todd. Uh, the okay. first, the first deer that you killed with a trad bow, like mm-hmm. walk us through that. And then like the, the feeling. Cause I think like for me, I, I, I live in this world where it's like, I feel like I still have, I mean, everybody does, but like, I feel like I still have like a lot to learn as far as bow hunting and like being successful on, you know, larger class animals, age class animals, whatever. Um, so for me with a, with a trad bow, like my expectations are like, man, I just need to get one close and, and kill it. You know, like uh, that's just, you know, I, I, I put everything like into like my elk hunting scenario right like hear an elk see an elk get an opportunity and like that's the way that i'm you know we're we're, we're kind of past that with i don't need to see a deer like i could see a deer but i need to get them in range i need to get drawn i need to get the shot off and then i need to kill one like you know and that's but it, i'm with you like it doesn't really matter the animal so for you with your your first year going into trad like how did you approach it and then like the first time you, you actually killed one Okay. So I, I didn't want to shoot like a, 
a year and a half year old. That was really my only thing. I didn't want to shoot a spike, you know, small six or anything. A really a year and a half year old. You know what I mean? I wanted it had to be a two year old at least. And uh happened to be um I paddled in to a place. I had an old lone wolf uh alpha with four sticks, full full sticks. Went in there, paddled in. It was one of those deals where I, I paddled into a place where I knew it was going to be, you know, coming in from the downwind side of a place. It was November 7th. Um, everything was good. I was getting up in the stand and I kicked, it, it was in a swamp and I kicked, a, there was a buck that was on a strip of hollies and he was bedded out there. It was right. I got in a little bit late that morning and he, there was a buck that there was a nice eight pointer that was bedded up. And when I got up to my third stick, he jumped up and he, he didn't know what I was, but he didn't like the sound of what was going on while I was setting up and, and just kind of walked off. He was upwind to me, never got my scent or anything like that. And, uh, worked off. I was in, I got, finally got set up and I was probably there. I'd say at the time it was probably like 45 minutes from that time. And, uh, I pulled out the rattling horns. I do that from time to time rattled a little bit not aggressive just like a sparring and uh another buck came in and he came right into six yards and took an arrow through the lungs went he went about 25 yards rolled over that was it that was uh it was a nice paddle it was a beautiful beautiful morning um yeah it was a beautiful morning he was out on the bow of my my uh new paddling out of there and that was a very nice it wasn't a big buck he was a, a two-year-old seven-pointer you know what I mean? he was uh let me see if i can it's this buck that buck right there can you see that mm-hmm. yep okay that buck and let me see he was paddling out where was this i got a picture of the morning when we were paddling when i was paddling out with him i don't know where it's at it's here someplace but yeah no it's uh not a very big buck at all, but man, it's, uh, it's probably one of my, my favorite bucks to be honest with you. You know what I mean? Like it brought the excitement back. I watched the arrow track and trace right to him. You know, you can almost, I could almost see it going, you know, it was about four rotations and in, in six yards to him. Um, it was great. It was a good, good blood trail. Um, yeah, it was perfect. It was perfect. And so it, uh, maybe it's been long enough that it isn't like, I mean, I can see, feel like the elation in your voice, like kind of like going back through the story, but like, were you surprised? Like, like, Oh my God, I did it. Or was it like, that was your expectation going in there? Like the, the, you know, the confidence that you have, like, like, like now going in with the compound is like, you know, all right, I just need to come here and he's, he's dead, you know, you know, and that's, that's kind of like the way that the killers are. But I think, you know, giving yourself that handicap, now you're hitting from the pro tees, right? Like it's, it's a whole nother, another game. No, I don't think I was surprised. I mean, it was a six yard shot. I was, I was shooting pretty good. You know what I mean? With, with that thing at that time, put a lot of work in, you know what I mean? that So that was a full, that was November 7th. So that was a full 12, 12 months from the time I had my bow that I was working on, you know, or not 12, uh, uh, 11 months. You you know what I mean? I would had been shooting that bow for 11 months and, uh, no, I, uh, I wasn't totally surprised about it. Um, but it was was just a great feeling. It was a great feeling. You know what I mean? Like it was all perfect, you know? Um, 
It was perfect. <laughs> I, I, I paddled out. I love that part of it. I, I love that I was, I hung a stand and I, you know, I had found a, a good, some scrapes and a good rub or a good, uh, trail beat down in the, in the mud right there. Um, the Saturday before that. And it was, it, it was perfect, man. It was perfect. Well, that, I think that's what everybody kind of aspires to, you know, and like, you know, I just, I just curse you under my breath here because it's like, you know, I've been out there fumbling around with this damn bow. <laughs> well, you gotta <laughs> remember though, my season started, my season started back September 9th that year. Yeah. And that was the first year that I killed with a trap bow. So I was hunting for almost two months. You know what I mean? The, I was just coming into the rot. You know what I mean? Like, so there was some, I didn't kill a deer between, you know, the opener and there. And so, yeah, it, it, it Dude, for anybody that hasn't tried a traditional bow, at least try one. You got, you know what I mean? Spend 25 bucks on a good string. If your grandpa, you got one out in your, from your grandpa out in his garage or your grandpa passed on or something, he gave you it or you inherited it or something like that. Check it out. Bring it to a shop. To do some YouTube uh, research on it. Check out what model it is. See if it's, if you can put a, like a, a faster string on or if it, you know, have it checked out by somebody professionally if you want to make sure that it's safe. You don't want to break your grandpa's bow or whatever. You know what I mean? But uh, I guarantee if your grandpa was hunting with a trad bow, it's probably may have been the only bow that he had, but he, and he won't be disappointed if you break the tip on the, on the thing, knowing that you brought his bow out to shoot it. If he was a true bow hunter, he won't care that it broke. He'll love the fact that you were taking it out in the backyard, restringing it and, and going out there and shooting it. But you have to watch the flight of the arrow a few times out of a trad bow and, and get that feeling. And you will know exactly what Adam is talking about when he says it made me feel like a kid again. It made me feel like, you know, me and my brother, my brother's three years younger than me. And we had these little red recurve, uh, little red fiberglass recurves with a black plastic handle on there. And we took every arrow out of my dad's thing and stole arrows from him and found arrows here and there and my grandfather and grandmother were antique people so we always had stuff in estate sales we i could find some arrows and you know what i mean they were all mismatched and everything but we were out in the backyard shooting chickadees shooting rabbits shooting chipmunks you know what i mean everything you possibly could think of we were out in the woods hunting when we were little kids and i mean we thought we were bowling luke duke We'd have, we'd be putting fire, we'd be putting firecrackers on the end and lighting them off and shooting them thinking we, we're like Bo and Luke Duke, man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, yeah, dude, I, I'll never give up one second of my childhood growing up in the UP. And I am so glad that we lived out uh, way out of town. You, you know what I mean? And not, I didn't grow up seven miles into town and grew up, you know what I mean? I might've been a skateboarder. <laughs> I might not have been a bow hunter. I might not have been a fisherman. You know what I mean? But I am so glad that my mom and my dad kept, my mom was smart about raising her, her kids. And she knew that she, that, that men that hunted and trapped and fished and, and do, did those things were solid people. And my mom kept us even when we were in church, she would keep us. She'd make us go sit over with so-and-so cause he was a bow hunter. We, you know, go over it. My dad didn't go to church with us. You know what I mean? My, but we went to church as a family with, without our father, you, you know, as far as church was concerned. But my mom would always like introduce me to this guy in the church, this man in the church and that man over there, he's a trapper, go over there and sit with him. 
he's going to, you know what I mean? Like you got too much energy, go sit with him. He's going to keep, <laughs> you know, he's going to maybe have you come over and do some chores. You know what I mean? Learn how to wax traps, rust traps, you know, and, and or, or stuff like that. My mom kept us around good, solid outdoorsmen. And, um, I would never miss, I, I, I would never give up for a, a billion dollars. I would never give up one minute of, of my, uh, childhood. Not at all. Not one story, not one thing, not one <laughs> memory that comes up when you only see your friend in a bar, when you're it, back in Michigan, up in the UP and you're running into somebody, Hey, you done? we broke down in the Bronco on so-and-so road. And we were camping in the middle of the road. And that one guy came in there and you, you know what I mean? We were broke down. We had to camp out overnight and just all this stupid crap that we did just trying to be, trying to be country dude, just trying to <laughs> go and enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like it was a different world back in those days. And I feel so sad for kids. You know what I mean? That, that, that didn't get to experience what we experienced in UP. And in those days, we were probably 50 years behind people from Southern Michigan. You know what I mean? Like as far as, as things and uh god man god just put me in the right right time and and you know i i get i i'm a little bit sad when i see the change that we're going through you know what i mean in this world and just just what kids don't aren't going to get to experience man you know what i mean you were able your dad would could take you out and put you in a ground a, a ground blind or something and you could you could actually go out there and like have three hours four hours where you sat there and just ate a sandwich that your mom made for you, or, you know, pulled out some chili out of a thermos or something like that and not be distracted by anything except for watching the chickadees come in, watching a, a Martin run by watching, you know what I mean? Waiting for a deer to come in, even if it was on a bait pile, even though it was on an apple pile, you know what I mean? Like these kids don't get breaks like that no more, man. They don't get to just refresh their minds they don't get to do that anymore. And it, it's sad, man. It really, it, it's sad. It, it's funny. It really it's funny that you say that. Cause I think about, you know, taking my daughter and uh, the nieces and nephews up to the UP. And uh, now we have internet at the cabin somehow, but even my daughter, she said, she said, yeah, I like, I like going up there because, you know, there's, there's not as much, devices you know we get to have fun and go out and be outside you know and catch snakes and you know shoot guns and do all the the things you know that that we just kind of took for granted as kids you know i mean i i was both a skateboarder and a bow hunter but you know mm -hmm. I, I did i, I think I'm greg sorry, was too man. Right. Sorry for saying that, but <laughs> you know what I mean. But I, I might still be skateboarding right now instead of shooting deer with my bow. You know what I mean? Like, uh, who knows? Yeah, you know? yeah. But uh, but that's the thing is like you know we we go out there and like we're talking with my daughter today about like all right, you, we're getting ready for turkey season. Like, are you planning on hunting? Like, what are we doing here? And you know, she's eight, so like we're we're she's <laughs> she she's I, I'm trying my best to 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 balance that world and in this, this world with, uh, you know, but I, but I think like to your point, it's like, that's how we grew up too, you know? Mm -hmm. and, like, so I was barefoot and catching frogs, like my, <laughs> my whole life, you know, so yep, frogs and snakes awful. and turtles and, and, and all of it. And you know, that uh, I think about, you know, my great aunt that lived in the UP 
you know, so we would go through the town and we would stop and see her before we went to camp and the little grocery store that still had like the bring your bottles back, like glass bottles in there, like decades after that was a thing, there was still stacked bottles of these glass Mountain Dew and RC Cola bottles yeah. that time stopped or moved very slowly up there. Yeah, good, man. I'll tell you what, there's nothing better than uh, just back in those days, we would stop at, you know, any any general store at any intersection or, you know, crossroads or something like that where two, two bigger dirt roads cross each other and there might be a general store and a gas station or something there. You go in there and there'd be a... a a tub of peanuts you go over there and grab a couple pounds you weigh them out on a scale you know grab a couple pounds of peanuts and you man you get a bottle of pepsi or coke or something like that and your dad get a six pack and you know we you go over there and you just putz roads looking for partridge and shoot shoot partridge out the window of the truck you know that's just the way life was back in those days man and and I'll never give up a minute of that. I, yeah, I was breaking the law. We were breaking the law. You weren't supposed to shoot them out the window. You're supposed to step out. You're supposed to have an orange hat on, all that other bullshit. However, if a game warden today could see what that did for a young man and the, the time that he had with his father, he probably wouldn't give you a ticket nowadays. You know what I mean? I hope he wouldn't anyway. He might give you a warning and all that kind of stuff and say, hey, you're supposed to do it right or whatever. But if he knew that that guy was going to buy $3 billion worth of hunting license over his 40-year bow hunting career, you know what I mean? And and all that stuff, the donations that he's given to the state to be able to have the privilege to hunt in all these different states, it probably wouldn't be that important to give a guy a $25 ticket for shooting out of the window. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, the so so our kids, right? Like it's, it's not, it's not that, but once they get across the bridge, like they can swear. And so they, they're like, are, are we halfway across the bridge yet? Like, are we back? <laughs> you know? And I love that. It's a good tradition, dude. That's a good tradition. So, you know, their, their mothers hate it. Right. Cause they're like, oh, we get to swear and blah, 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 blah. And, right. and they don't use the right words and all that stuff, but you right. know, they're, 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 they're learning you know, they're, they're getting to use these things in, in, a, in a context. Right. So, yep. <laughs> but that's perfect. But yeah, I think we can kind of, we kind of hit all the high points, uh, you know, that I wanted to want to talk about and, uh, for your, for yourself, um, you know, with, with talk a little bit about your podcast, kind of where people can find you, follow along. Cause you do a lot of like Instagram live or like a lot of the stuff on your Instagram where you're kind of going through gear and, and talking about a lot of the stuff that we, we kind of went over tonight too. So. Yeah. So, so John White and I, we have a podcast called the secret wilderness podcast. Um, John used to have a YouTube thing um, where it was the hunting challenge. And, um, and I never really had anything, you know, besides like a little bit of YouTube or, or Instagram or something like that. So we, we got together and started a podcast about a year and a half ago. And we're not, we're not, uh, as dedicated to, to it as, as you are, you know, we were, we, you know, we've had our moments over the last year and a half where we put some things together and, and, uh, we're just kind of taking a break from it right now, but, uh, sequel learns podcasts on, uh, all, all the different, you know, on, uh, being you know, all, all the different, uh, platforms, Spotify and, and all that stuff that's on there. Um, we haven't put one out in a while. 
Uh, but like I said, we're, we're taking a breather. John's got a lot of other things going on right now, too. He's got young kids, so he's got a lot of things going on. Taking a little breather from it, but, but myself, um, I'm the UP bow hunter on Instagram and and uh, and whatnot. And like I said, I just put things out when I when I think it's something that that could help somebody else out or or you know whatnot. Uh, I generally about this time of year I start putting up things to to you know the, the new year. If you're gonna try trad, here's some tips that you should be looking for. If you're gonna be going getting a bow, or if you're gonna, you know th- those kind of things, and just trying to challenge people a little bit to to go out there and, and seek wilderness, man. Um, there's wilderness. When, when I moved to a small state on the East coast from the upper peninsula of Michigan, that's big country in the UP. This is a small country it, it, over here on the East coast. And, uh, but I did realize that, man, you get in a boat and you slipper it, you pull off on a, some place where you can park or off the side of a road. And there's a, there's a Creek down there, man. You can slide a slide a canoe in all these little ditches and, and, uh, grab a fishing rod whatever it is that you want to do if it's just binoculars and go out there and just paddle around look look at birds there's a lot of wilderness just a, a 150 200 paddles away from every bridge around here or any any place else that you that you live um get out there learn learn some things the experiences that you gained from from scouting in the winter time and going out and, and and seeing things i will promise you that when you go out in the woods and you see things in the daylight in the winter time and the sign is there and it's laid out for you and you can see it and you if you have an open mind of why the deer are doing this and doing that when you go into a place um in september and october with a flashlight or a headlamp and you've never been there before you can put yourself in a pretty good situation even in the dark by just the experience that you've you've had that's in your mind of oh yeah I'm, I've been in a place like a lot like this. There is an edge over there. There is a meadow right here. The deer are going to come along here. And I guarantee you, you know what? Oh yeah. The deer are probably, Oh, there's some tracks with a spotlight. Let me get downwind of this. Let me come in from the downwind side. So I don't put this, my ground scent right here and get over here. And I bet you, I bet you there's a scrape about a hundred yards over there on the edge where that one tree limb is overhanging. And I guarantee you that's a scraping tree in the dark just from experience and just spending time in the woods, you will be able to put yourself in some pretty good situations that, you know, you go in in the dark with just a, just, just a light. Um, get out there and enjoy it, man. You only got, we only got so many years here. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 54 in May. Um, you know, my, my goal is to be able to hunt the way that I'm hunting right now until I'm about 72 and I'm a type one diabetic. So, I don't necessarily, those, those years aren't guaranteed to me. You know what I mean? There no, nobody's got anything guaranteed, man. But, uh, those years ain't guaranteed to me, but I'm trying to do everything in my power to be able to, to hunt the way I want to hunt until at least I'm 72. When I'm 72, then maybe I'll start settling her down a little bit and I can look back at it and yeah, maybe I'll have to pull a crossbow out or something, <laughs> sit on a, sit on a, sit on a bucket or something. You know what I mean? But, uh, I don't want to hunt that way. I want to hunt hard. I want to go in the woods. I don't want trail cameras. I want to be able to go out there, read sign, put myself in the right situation. And I want to be surprised by the deer that comes in. I want to be surprised by that. That's a big attraction to me to be surprised. I don't want to have a picture of that deer. I don't, you know what I mean? I, when I run into other guys that are hunting some of my spots and, and they say, Oh, I got a picture of young guys that have a lot of cameras and they got pictures of it. And and then I shoot a deer or they shoot a deer. I don't want you sharing pictures with me, dude. I don't want to see them. I got the, the deer that I shot this year. I had three different people send me 
pictures of that body. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I was like, damn it, man, don't, don't do that. I don't want to see them. I don't care. I want to be surprised, man. You know what I mean? So, which I was surprised at the time, but I don't want Intel, that, that kind of Intel. I want to be surprised. I want to see I, someday I want to, I want to be sitting in a tree along the edge of those reeds. And I want that, those reeds to get ripped up, and tore up. And I want a buck to come out of there with double drop tines that no person's ever seen. And I want him to come right where I thought he was supposed to come right there at four yards. And I'm sticking an arrow in both of his lungs. That's what I want. That's why I get up in the morning. That's why I do all this stuff every day of my life, because I want to be surprised. I don't want a picture of it. I wouldn't mind. I, I, I've shot a few bucks that I've had sheds off of and, and that kind of thing, but I want to be surprised, man. I, I, you, you know what I mean? That geeks me up. I don't know if that geeks you up, Adam. You know what I mean? But it, it certainly does me, man. Oh, you know, and that's, that's what I say. And I, and you know, I, I read something on Facebook where, um, Chris Lepper, he said, he was talking about cameras in general, and he was talking about cell cameras, I think specifically, but he said, I wonder how many more deer have not been killed because of cameras than have. And, and that to me is like, you know, that old adage of like, comparison is the thief of joy. Right. So when you see something, you're like, oh, but there's a bigger one. So I better wait instead of like just being excited and like all, whatever the ground shrinkage or whatever, like you were jacked up enough in that moment to be like, Oh my gosh. And and, and to me, like that's, I mean, the, the one good, uh, buck encounter that I had here in Michigan this year, like uh, I, my buddy sent me a pin and said, Hey, go in here, go about 70 yards South of this. And I set up and there was no, there was zero sign. There was zero anything. There was nothing. And I was like getting ready to get down. Cause I'm like, this guy's joshing me around, you know? And I had a real nice buck come in inside of 10 yards behind me, like right downwind to me, everything. Mm -hmm. And, uh, meandered off at 30 and I'd never seen, I'd never seen that deer before in my life. And I'll tell you, I was, I was freaking elated and I'm just up there, you know, the adrenaline's going, trying to figure out how to get this deer to come in make the turn. And I, I would, I wouldn't trade that for anything, you know? And, and that's what I said. Like, I would l love to be surprised. Like that's the, that's the goal. Right. I mean, yeah. that, that deer in the UP, you know, like I knew that there was deer there, but like, I didn't have that deer on a pattern or on camera or anything. Like yeah. I was, I was freaking shaking. <laughs> like, you know, and I, to say I was surprised was an understatement. <laughs> yep. So, so, I, so I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the stuff, man. I, I I think um, if maybe people could just put those cameras down for a year and and just go in there and just do some scouting, put put some winter scouting in. Um, if you go out there in the winter time, and and you monitor tracks and trails for you know you monitor some things, you will you'll be surprised that you could still pass up some smaller bucks if you want. There's some bigger ones around. You know what I mean? Like you're gonna find their sheds. Unless you're in a place where a lot of other people shed hunt and stuff like that, you're going to find it. You're going to find it. big tracks are generally from big deer. You, you know what I mean? Like whatever's big in your area, if he's got a, a big track, he's a big buck. You, you, you know what I mean? So uh, I think you don't necessarily have to be 100% surprised by being able to read sign too, you know, without having a picture of it. 
So, yeah, yeah, yep. But man, I really appreciate you taking the time and you know sitting down with me. And, yeah, we got to drink a beer one day, man. Hey, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> all right, good. So we'll get together. All right. Well, I appreciate it, Todd. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Adam. Later.